You're listening to the British Baseball Podcast. And joining me on today's episode of the British Baseball Podcast, I'm extremely happy to have alongside me Paul Kirkpatrick, the Great Britain pitcher and former Kumara Cubs from Australia pitcher, the Stuttgart Reds in Germany and Huff Dot Pioneers in Holland. Paul, how are we doing? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Not a problem, pleasure to have you on. Uh, I'm doing very well, cheers. Um, Paul, let's uh, let's jump straight into things. Uh, just to tell the good folks who are listening a bit about your background in baseball and, and how you got involved in it. Yeah, so um, growing up, uh, my mom grew up a tomboy and uh, so played every sport growing up and my dad being British knew nothing about baseball and so I thought it was a great fit how uh, neither of one of my parents knew anything about baseball and uh, so they couldn't critique me in any way so it was just my my kind of little sanctuary to get away from parents and family and uh, yeah it was just a great great sport um, kind of chose me towards the end um, but uh, I played all every sport growing up until high school, and then stuck with baseball. Did you find that other sports had a, a pull for your heart over baseball? Was there any close contenders? Yeah, so I grew up playing basketball, uh, a lot of tennis and golf, um, and basketball kind of came easy. Golf, my uncle played golf at Duke, uh, so he was really good and taught me a lot. And then my mom was a, uh, a tennis pro, and so. She could always beat me at tennis, and she still does, and it infuriates me all the time. Um, but so I was, I was quite good at uh, those three. But baseball, I was kept on, kept on uh, getting put on the B team or JV team um, until my junior year of high school. And so I kind of fell in love with it because it was the one sport I really had to try, um, and t- if I wanted to succeed. And so the work ethic came and um yeah now I am I mean wouldn't be where I am today without baseball yeah were you always a pitcher throughout your you uh, youth and your, your college and university <laughs> days or you try the positions as well um so I I played a position in high school uh I was a first baseman third baseman um and because I could not run to save my life um but a uh, funny story is that, uh, so I grew up hitting right-handed and then um, my junior year, my select uh, team coach uh, or summer ball coach, um, he told me that my right-handed swing was so bad that I should just try hitting left-handed. Um, so I did and I could make contact and it looked like a way better swing than my right-handed swing. So he's like, perfect from now on, you are only going to hit left-handed. Um, and my junior year of high school, I had one at bat and I took it from the right side and hit a double. And so I finished my high school career batting a thousand from the right-handed side, uh, because my senior year I then hit left-handed. Uh, so I'm perfect from the right-handed batter's box and I will never let that go. Retire it. Don't don't ever go back to it. Keep that record. mm -hmm. So did you say that's some of the best, uh, some of the best advice you've ever got from a coach? Um, 
hitting wise. Yeah. But in high school, I knew I wasn't going to be a hitter in college. Uh, so I, I mean, we talked about the work ethic before, um, I did not have any, uh, being a hitter, uh, because I knew my future was in pitching and not hitting. And in college pitchers don't hit, um, or typically they don't hit. Uh, so I never stayed, stayed after practice and tried, um, I think I signed going into my senior year of or senior year of high school. I've already signed with Wake Forest um, as a pitcher, so just still no motivation hitting, but just a lot of long toss um, and working on pitching. But hitting wise, best advice was moving to the left-handed side because it uh, it didn't ruin my golf swing, um, which is more important as a pitcher uh, having good golf swing and. Uh, but uh, I think my best advice from a coach, um, and I know we'll talk about it later a bit, but um, I, I tried having four different pitches before I was ready. Uh, so I, I had a fastball changeup and a really good slider. Um, and I tried throwing a curveball as well. Um, but my coach, I think it was my, uh, my freshman year of college, my coach kind of touched on it. Um, but it was more my junior college coach my sophomore year. He's like, look, you have uh, two average uh, breaking balls. Um, you can either have two and they'll stay average, or you can really focus on one and just have that be dominant. So I really took that to heart, scratched the curveball. And so it's really just a fastball changeup slider. Um, I, I still throw a curveball. Like if, since I'm a starter, if I'm in the sixth, seventh inning and one batter seeing every pitch, I might just flip in a curveball. But um, I, I really try to just focus on that slider. Yeah. What, what, um, what would you say your favorite pitch is? Um, favorite one is slider, but my best one's probably my changeup. Um, and I don't know why. Changeups are. I mean, it's the hardest pitch to hit if you throw a good one. Um, so I think that's nice. Um, but I can throw every pitch to a righty um, and then to a lefty. Or I can throw every pitch to a lefty. A righty, I'm still working on that uh, right-handed changeup uh, to a right-handed hitter because it's not as common. Um, so I'm just trying to work on locating that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, work, working on something every day, trying to get better. So um, when you finished um, college and, and uni, um, how do you, you end up playing in Australia as your first club? How did that come about? Uh, I, so I went to Germany my uh, first year, actually. Um, yeah, so um, I, I had talks with one of my teammates in, in college about how we both wanted to kind of play after baseball uh, or after college. We wanted to keep playing baseball. So he kind of introduced to me this website, Baseball Jobs Overseas. And that uh, opportunity came because having a British passport uh, holds a lot of weight um, because I don't count against that import limit. Um, so he kind of introduced that to me. Um, I would have loved getting drafted, but I didn't think I was going to. Um, my first half stats in college were amazing and then I kind of fell off towards the end um, and I'm a right-handed pitcher that's 6'3 
that throws 88.92, you can drive in America five minutes and find someone exactly like me. Um, so I figured I'd go travel the world and uh, keep playing and learn some new cultures and uh, get more involved with the GB teams. Yeah, was it a bit nerve-wracking in making that first step? Uh, when I boarded the plane, I kind of thought to myself, what am I doing? Like, my, I'm very comfortable in the U.S. I, I do like traveling, um, but that first plane ride, and actually all the plane rides to all my teams I've played on, like, that whole flight, I'm kind of just like, what am I doing? Like, I don't belong in this country. Uh, and then as soon as I meet my teammates, it's like, okay, this is why I'm, I'm here. How, how, well, how easy did you find it settling in then with, with the new culture and, and surroundings? Um, I, so I had Americans on every team except for that Hofdort team. Uh, I was the only import. Um, so it was pretty easy to kind of blend in because you would gravitate towards the Americans in the first week or two. And then um, all the teammates are just so nice uh, just talking to you because um, we have been playing baseball our entire lives and um, they, they haven't or they just picked it up or they can only play certain parts of the year. So they're very um, involved with us trying to learn more things and um, uh, it's a really cool experience because you either have uh, young guys with a lot of potential, but they're just not physically there um, that are trying to get onto a college roster or get drafted. Um, or you have some older guys that have been there and done that and they just want to keep playing in their own country. So, I mean, the talent levels are very, it, it's pretty good in those, uh, in those countries, um, but they're, I mean, so it's just a wide gap, a wide range of people. Yeah. What are the playing surfaces like abroad? Any any favorite arenas or stadiums? Um, I I didn't have a favorite one in Germany, um, but my favorite field was probably a Hofdorp's field uh, because they were competing with London to try to get the London series in, in Hofdorp, which I think uh, – I think the MLB made a great decision putting it in London, uh, but that field was amazing. It was MLB ready and the mound was perfect and uh, the fences were pretty deep. And as a pitcher, that's all, all you can ask for is deep fences and uh, a perfect mound. So I cannot complain. Lovely. So where did you end up after you were in Germany? Was Is that when you went to? Yeah, so I was in Germany and then I, um, I had another semester left with all my transferring from college. Uh, so in order to convince my mom uh, that I wanted to keep playing, um, I told her I would graduate first. So I could have gone to Australia from then, but I decided to get my degree. Uh, so I went back to school at Western Kentucky. And then I went back to Europe in Hofdorp, uh, which was amazing. It was a great year um, and met a bunch of cool people. And they are really good at baseball yeah. in uh, in the Netherlands. Which you say was more competitive than the German league or the Dutch league? Because they both got pretty high standards. I think the Dutch league is, um, I would say the Dutch league's better. Uh, I think uh, the German leagues, it, it is competitive. 
Um, but I think it's such a big country where they have both a North and Southern division uh, to where I think the talent's more spread out. And in the Dutch league, they have eight teams. So uh, the talent's all there. Um, and so instead of having 20 teams, all the talent's on eight teams. And I, so I would say the Dutch league and people get drafted out of the Netherlands all the time. There are a few scouts um, that are just looking at 17, 18 year old kids um, to try to sign. Yeah, and you said um, off, off air we were talking before that, that you should have been playing in Italy this season as well, another mm-hmm. European uh, powerful league there. Uh, any plans to go back there if, if uh, lockdown is lifted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was supposed to be in Italy in Bologna. Um, I think, I think my mom and her friends were more disappointed that the season I wasn't allowed to play because they were all excited to uh, come see me in Italy. Uh, and come play and uh, go on vacation. But uh, I, I still talk to the team, and hopefully if restrictions are lifted, I can go there next season. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but it's just, I guess that's plan A right now. Um, and, yeah, just I, I kind of just go with the flow. I mean, you can't, can't get ahead of this. Uh, so just one step at a time, and hopefully everything works out and everything happens for a reason yeah so. indeed and so what are the other ambitions have you got um so um obviously baseball wise just keep playing uh italy was going to be great because it, it is the highest level in europe um i was going to try to get into the abl as well in australia so kind of keep playing at the highest levels um because if, and then um, yeah, so I think Italy, ABL, maybe either go back to Italy um, or maybe like Taiwan or Japan. Um, can't just seeing. Um, I'm doing a trying to get a few internships here as well. So not putting all my eggs in one basket with baseball. It's still also being smart and knowing that I do have to have a career after baseball. Yeah. Um, so as long as I can do internships while I'm home and keep playing during the respected seasons, uh, kind of do that until my arm falls off. And then also, uh, all the tournaments with GB, hopefully that I'm invited to now that I'm aged out of the U23s. Yeah. Can you see yourself settling in a different country and playing ball over there for, for parent or do you kind of like the, the traveling aspect? Um, I like the traveling aspect. I think if I was going to settle in a country, um, my degrees in uh, econ and finance. So I think if I did settle in a country, it would either be England and London or uh, maybe somewhere in Australia in a bigger city where I could kind of do both. Um, so I kind of joke with Drew and Crammon about joining the London Capitals so I could play against the London Nets. Um, <laughs> But uh, I don't think they're too uh, too pleased with that. Um, but someone's got to stop them. So um, I'm trying to get a just a squad together of my old British teammates and just being like, hey, let's uh, go to London and play. Um, so that'd be great. I'd love to see that game. And yeah. um, speaking of uh, GB earlier, do you want to tell us about your memories around uh, your Great Britain debut and your call up? 
Yeah, so uh, so I guess it first started with Liam emailing me, and uh, I thought it was spam. Um, like <laughs> his email, because I didn't even know GB had baseball or anything, but Liam emailed me, and the heading was, "Do you want to play for your country?" And being a 19 or 20 year old kid, uh, I obviously responded because if it's spam, I can just create a new email. But I so uh, that ended up working out. I talked to my uh, college coach at the time, and uh, yeah, oh, I guess a few months later, I was in Brooklyn at the 2016 WBC um, qualifier, and I might have said maybe 10 words that entire tournament. Um, I did not say a single word because I was playing with a bunch of minor leaguers, and Trevor Hoffman was a bullpen coach, um, so I didn't open my mouth because I didn't think it was my place. Like I'm still a college kid. Um, these guys have been there and done that. And I just wanted to absorb as much information as I could from them and learn as much as I could. Uh, and Michael Roth kind of took me under his wing. And I mean, as, as I think GB should know, he threw a just amazing game one and uh, had a great post game uh, press conference. But um I mean, that call is great. Um, as I said, Trevor Hoffman was the bullpen coach and me having a changeup, I figured I'd talk to him about it because he is an all-time great on, like he made his all his saves and money with that changeup. So I asked him about it, uh, which was, took about three out of those 10 words. And uh, I was just like, so how do you throw your changeup? And um, he kind of talked to me about it, wishing that he just told me that my changeup was crap and that I should throw it his way. But he actually said that I had a decently changeup and he wouldn't change it. So I was actually disappointed because I would have <laughs> rathered him just tell me how to throw his and just say, oh, I wouldn't change it. Uh, but I learned my changeup from John Danks, who also pitched at the majors. Um, so that was a great start. And then I guess my first appearance was against Pakistan and I snaked a win and unbelievable because um, it, I I got the call to start warming up in the fourth inning that I was going in in the fifth. And at the time it was a close game. Uh, maybe it was like 2-0. Um, so I'm just like, oh, perfect, like high leverage situation. Didn't even know I was going to pitch the entire tournament. I think I was chilling in the dugout until Liam and uh, Zach Graceford uh, yelled at me to go run to the bullpen. And they're just like, oh, you're not warming up, but you're not allowed in the dugout because you're a pitcher. So I'm like, oh, I actually might pitch this tournament. I thought I was just going to be a bench warmer. Um, but in that Pakistan game, I snaked a win. We scored like 15 runs in the fourth inning. So I was warming up for about an hour. So I threw and I threw a complete game in the in the bullpen. And uh, but pitch that fifth inning. And in baseball, if you pitch a fifth inning, you get the win. So forever in the stat book, it will say that Paul Kirkpatrick won the uh, won the game against Pakistan. Uh, and then I also pitched in the final game against Israel. Um, I actually pitched against Ike Davis. So that is my best hitter that I've faced, um, in my opinion. Um, and it was fun. It was a great, great time in Brooklyn. Yeah, I saw the highlights of the Pakistan game. 
Um, it was only a short clip. I've not been able to see the full game, but it did. It looked, it looked wild. It looked like a really good game. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Good, good. Um, and I don't think we could uh, progress any further without asking about the famous Dutch incident, <clears throat> as we'll call it. Uh, I first found out about this through, through Drew Spence. Uh, of London Mets and the on the 23's GB team and it was on your yeah. grateful to the game um, speech which again was a superb series and there's so many brilliant people that have contributed to that so if you've not heard them or seen them yet go on to Twitter look for Drew Spence when they're at Caper Beats and look for grateful to the game with the hashtag uh, Paul Johnson talk us talk us through your experience yeah um the experience of the Dutch game or just what I said on Drew's uh, Twitter? Um, um, you can start, start at the beginning. How, how, uh, let, let's go throughout the, the whole game. Uh, well, not the, well, the whole game, but your, your highlights so and moments of that occasion. So I, I guess the, I mean, the Dutch game kind of started way before because uh, I, I was just coming off the season in the Netherlands. Um, and so I think I my teammates were talking about how I might've been the second most hated person in that league. Um, and so I'm the, I'm the teammate that if, if you're on my team, you will absolutely love me and I will like, I'll have your back till the end. Uh, but I do talk a lot of crap. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think it's a mental game and I, no matter if we're up 10, down 10, close game, I will just talk crap um, in certain situations. So uh, kind of started then. I knew all the Dutch players hated me, uh, except for two that were actually on my team uh, that went to Prague. Um, and so, um, I mean, that, that was that. So I kind of knew a few of the hitters. Um, and then the night before, uh, I had a beer with Cramman, uh, who, um, if you haven't listened to his story on the either your podcast or on Twitter's page, or Twitter with uh, Drew, we um, we kind of had a beer and talked about what he was going through, and that I had a similar experience with my dad. Um, and uh, at the end, it was just like, hey, tomorrow we're going to do something special, and. Uh, all through, like during those practices in, in London, I guess Will Lintern and uh, J-Rod, they are huge on the mental game, and I am as well, but they wanted us to visualize like the whole, like something in Prague. So they wanted us to visualize us winning, uh, but they didn't tell us what what to do or like what to visualize, but they wanted us to share at the last practice um, and the only practice I was able to. And so uh, not knowing any of these people, maybe maybe one, I think I knew Freddie from before. Um, no one wanted to share what they visualized. And so me just being the... Um, confidence. The, well, confidence and kind of the... I'm the smart a-hole um, in every <laughs> room. Um, and I was just like... Um, I think I made a joke about how uh, I was going like after the Dutch game through a CG uh, and just stared into their dugout with uh, just saying a couple things because of my trash talking and 
uh, everyone just left and J-Rod's like, hell yeah, like, let's do it. Um, so we go to the game and uh, I talked to a few of my teammates on the Dutch team, uh, kind of gave them a few high fives and all they could ask were, hey, are you pitching? And I'm like, oh, trust me, you do not want me to pitch against you guys. Because um, I, I was feeling good. Um, shockingly, I felt good because the game was on Wednesday. Uh, I pitched in our Hofdorp team on Saturday through 120 pitches. Um, so it was a short, short rest. Um, but I knew I wanted the ball against the Netherlands. Um, and so as Drew uh, kind of mentioned, like I kind of told him that I wanted the ball um, and uh, they weren't going to give it to anyone else. Um, so some highlights of that game were, uh, I guess, the second batter of the game drag bunted and he, that was their first hit of the game. And so I was near the Dutch dugout and uh, one of my really good friends on that team, he just yelled out, there goes the no-no. Uh, and I'm like, man, the Dutch have to resort to bunting to get a hit off me. I'm like, so I knew that uh, that kind of set an edge off, off me. Like, I'm just like, all right, like really pound the zone. Um, and then Freddie... Freddie called a great game, caught a great game. Uh, he, like, even in the bullpen, uh, I've never seen him behind the plate, but he was blocking all my sliders. And so that confidence level right there was just like, great. I have a catcher that can block a ball. Uh, so that trust was just uh, instant. Um, so, and my, my friends give me a lot of, a lot of crap for saying that Freddie caught a great game, but he did. Um, and then, so, uh, I guess I'm not sure who it was, whether it was Mateo or Freddie that scored the first run, but um, like that, that was great again, but I, I knew we needed one more. Um, and then when that second run came in, I was, I was very confident because I usually tell my teams um, before I go pitch, it's, Hey, give me two or three runs. Um, and I'm pretty confident that we'll win the game especially in a seven inning game. Um, and so second run came in, I was, I was very hyped and excited. Um, and then I think the very next inning, uh, they scored another run and I was livid because it was against their smallest hitter with two outs. And he hits this little jam shot, probably the weakest ball I've ever, ever seen. And it just landed between our first and second baseman for and they scored on that, and I was just yelling in the dugout because I got out of it the very next inning. But I, I was just like, how do I let the smallest guy on the team uh, beat me? Um, so I was pretty mad. Um, how did you get but, mentally back into the game then after that? Because it probably would have been uh, quite easy for you to have un, not lost the plot, but like it, it could have steamrolled downhill. Is that where the mental side sort of kicked in? Yeah, so I, I pride myself on the mental side. And I think that's one thing my mom instilled on me was um, if you're going to be a great athlete, you have to have a really good mental side. Um, so it's just a flip of the switch. I mean, um, I I try to have it to where um, you can have it until the first out in the dugout. So when I'm back in the dugout, as soon as we make the first out of that next inning, I need to just forget about it 
and um, kind of move on. Um, and I also have, if I'm on the mound and I'm struggling, I usually pick out a part of the field uh, that I can just look at and kind of reset. So mine is uh, the left field foul pull. Um, I'll just stare at it, kind of mentally lock in. It used to be the scoreboard, uh, but uh, not all fields in Europe have a scoreboard. So it, I changed it to the left field foul pole. Um, so I think it's important for people to have kind of a place to kind of mentally get back um, in the game. But so uh, flip the switch, Brian Lanoff came to talk to me, which I kind of told him to just get away from me. But the entire game, that relationship was just great um, because I didn't know any of the coaching staff. I might have said, uh, I think I introduced myself to them at the London series, uh, but that was pretty much it. Um, so they didn't know me, I didn't know them, but we, we just meshed instantly and had a great relationship. Um, and Brian would just come over and talk to me about, all right, well, this is uh, the guys that are coming up and uh, here's how you pitched to them last time. I kind, of, I kind of just said, well, I've been pitching the same way to every single hitter and they still haven't been able to figure it out which um, if it works, don't change it. But then the last inning, um, I think I gave up a double with two outs. And so I just thought to myself, well, at least I made the game interesting. I mean, if worse comes to worse, I mean, who, I mean, who can fault that? I mean, uh, tying run on second base. And I mean, we, we all knew that we never beat the Dutch. Um, and so when I struck out the last batter, I, I immediately just went to go hug Freddie. Um, I did not face the Dutch dugout as I envisioned, but I, because I was too caught up in kind of celebrating um, with the team, trying to act like I've done that before. Um, but it was a, overall, it was a great game. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we played, really good defense we scored just enough runs and I mean I think it's important um, when you have a non a pitcher that's a pitch to contact hitter just make the routine plays I mean diving plays are awesome but the routine plays have to be made and we I don't think we made a single error which was awesome yeah, indeed. It was a great game. I, I, I watched the highlights. Not the highlights, but I watched the whole thing not too recently. Um, Drew managed to get all the all the uh, link for it on YouTube. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Really good game. Um, what was it like afterwards then? What, what was the mood like afterwards? Like I said, it's the first time you beat the Dutch. Who, who were the first people to come over and congratulate you? And any um, clean stories well, you can share? Uh, yeah. Um, so Freddie's dad was out of the dugout. My my mom didn't come because uh, she was coming to the senior Euros a few months later. So it just didn't make sense. Um, so Freddie's hug uh, or Freddie's dad, uh, Mr. Moser, he almost knocked out a tooth after the game. Like his, he gave me a hug and his shoulder went right into my jaw. Uh, so that was brutal. Um, but as soon as we got back to the hotel, I mean. We, we talked about it before the tournament, how we were there on a business trip, um, how don't 
drink too much, like limit to yourself to one beer since the drinking age is way younger there than it is in here in America. But I was the oldest one. Uh, so Drew and I had, I mean, our relationship was awesome because it felt like every dinner I was, I was a few beers deep and uh, like when I ordered a cup, I was a couple in, Drew and I would always make awkward eye contact. And I'm just like, I know I can handle myself. Like as, as long as my, my big thing is you have to be ready to go the next day. I mean, there's no excuse for no hangover, no headaches. Like you have to go. It's a business trip, hundred percent agree. But I did stick around with the coaching staff and just shared great stories and how we're so confident. Um, and like the, the boys were just very ecstatic and, I mean, we're in Prague, and so we kind of, we kind of just hung out and chilled. Um, I mean, trying to talk our way into, all right, we have the Germans next. Like, let's go beat them. Let's shock the world. I mean, because no one thought we could beat the Dutch, so why not uh, shock the world and win the tournament? Yeah. So, um, speaking of some of the coaches, I I reached out to some of them to see if they could help me with my research. And one of them said to ask you about your coaching role within the under 18s. Yeah. So, uh, J rod, uh, graciously invited me to be a part of the team. Uh, so we haven't really figured out the appropriate title that he would give me. Uh, so I am the pitching slash bullpen slash strength and conditioning coach kind of just a do it all coach. I mean, whatever I'm needed to do, I'll do. Um, I want everyone to just reach out and text me or um, I, if they have any pitching questions or how do they get bigger and stronger or faster. Um, kind of just um, do that. I think it's great. I mean, our coaching staff is going to be, uh, going to be legit uh, next year. And it's just unfortunate that me being in America, all the help I can do is on Zoom calls or like videos. Um, so I think we have a good staff uh, there in the UK that um, I feel comfortable that uh, I can help in any way that I can here. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think we uh, have another pitching coach on the on the staff. So that's why uh, we're going to talk together and he can have the pitchers because he'll handle them more. And then I'll go uh, with the bullpen. And uh, I think it just goes tournament to tournament and just see what I can do to help. Awesome. And what advice could you give to, to any uh, young pitchers out there or even maybe a nearly 40 year old Mancunian guy who fancies being a pitcher? Maybe. You know? uh, my my best advice for pitchers is to start with strike one. Um, I mean, the batting average of opposing hitters are goes down tremendously if you throw first pitch strikes. Um, and the same advice that I was given is that it's great to have four, five, six different pitches, but um, I wouldn't move on from two or three unless you can throw both your changeup and your breaking ball for a strike. Uh, there's no point of having five pitches if you can only throw two of them consistently for a strike. Um, so that would, that would be my big one. 
Um, and the line I use with my um, with my teams that I share in Texas is that Mike Trout might be the best hitter in baseball, and if you throw it down the middle, he might hit 400. Like so, he's gonna get out six out of ten times by just throwing the ball down the middle. And I tell him, and guess what? We're not facing Mike Trout. Like the hitters that we're facing. I mean, obviously, if you can, don't throw it down the middle, but um, that's just how important strike one is, um, is that, I mean, hitters will get themselves out more times than not, and that's why I love pitching, because hitting that mentality, you're going to get out seven out of ten times, and you're considered a Hall of Famer, um, which is just mind-blowing. Um, so I limit the walks, and um just throw strikes yeah you should see me on mlb the show like i swear yeah. everything i'm a pit all my mm-hmm. pictures are straight down the middle no, no matter where i try to put it i'm like the e-batters favorite i well, just i'm so bad at it yeah i should concentrate on the real thing instead I'm, I'm not very good at that either but you know practice makes perfect do you think um yeah. having a good relationship with your catcher is is a must as a pitcher oh 100 percent, and i think that's where um i mean that trust comes in i mean it's hard to explain because i mean if a catcher can't block a ball um or can't doesn't know what um the pitcher wants to throw i mean it either slows the game down or if there's a runner on third and he can't block a ball then that eliminates all the breaking balls because you don't want that runner to score um, with a pass ball. Um, and so I, I think that that trust level is just so unique in the way that, especially with GB tournaments where you're given just a few days to uh, figure out what pitchers like um, because it is tempo. I mean, the pitcher just wants to grab the ball and get back on the rubber. And if, we have to shake off a thousand signs and that's not the way to do it. Um, so it's kind of, even if the catcher is so smart and the, like the pitcher will always shake off to whatever pitch he wants and the, uh, the right pitch thrown at 50% conviction is way worse than the wrong pitch thrown at a hundred percent conviction. Um, so pitchers need to believe in what they throw and catchers just, learn that the pitchers are always right and just sit back there and make us look good. And that, that's pretty much how it is. Um, but I think every GB catcher I've had, I mean, I mean, you kind of just talk to them briefly, even outside the games, just like, Hey, this is what I like to throw in this situation. Um, and kind of go from there. Like, I mean, in that Dutch game, Actually, that whole tournament, I was just throwing fastballs in and sliders away, and maybe occasionally I'll throw a slider or a fastball high or fastball away just to change the eye level. Um, but um, because I didn't need to shake off that much that entire tournament, and it was great. Um, so that that uh, trust level is very unique. Cool. So it looks like I'm going to be buying a few people in Manchester, a few crates of beer. If I decide, mm-hmm. sure, it might just be cheaper just to stay on the bench. 
I think that's yeah. what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, Jared also said um, to ask you what the secrets of running a good kangaroo court are on a GB trip. Now, for those that don't know, what is a kangaroo court? So a kangaroo court is kind of, I mean, it's not a game, but it's uh, something that you you keep in a backpack or a box of uh, just either if someone says something dumb or does something dumb outside the baseball field, um, then you'll write it up and uh, put it in the backpack and you'll get fined at the end of the week. Um, <laughs> so it is a 18 and up game uh, because typically the money goes toward uh, some beer um, for the boys after a successful tour. And so the key to having a great one is that um, no matter who you are, like the older guys on the team need to go to the local um, like Walmart or y'all's are like little or like a massive store that sells kids backpacks and you buy the pinkest, most sparkly backpack and you give it to the younger guys, the rookies on the team. Um, the guys that are new to that level of baseball, uh, it doesn't matter if you've played on the U15 team and you, this, if it's your first first one at the U18 level or first one at the U23 level, you are a rookie. Um, and so you give them the pink sparkly backpack and they have to fill it up with candy and Red Bull and uh, typically pen and paper so that at any time, um, if someone does something, you can just write it down um, and put it in the backpack. And if, uh, I think we had four or five different rookies in Prague. And so each day everyone was in charge of carrying it one day. So they had 24 hours and it couldn't leave their site. So they would bring it to the baseball field and back. And if they forgot it, uh, then they would get fined to the max. Um, and someone uh, forgot it. We left some equipment on the bus, so that got fined. And then obviously some people, probably Mateo said some ridiculous things. So he got fined a lot in Prague. Um, I'm the one that typically, typically gets fined at the seniors level. So I've had to pay my fair share of uh, fines. But um, towards the end, uh, at the end of the week, you read off all the letters or all the notes and um, you all the people that are either graduating from that level or the team captains will um, be the judges and you have to figure out what the fine is if it's worthy of a fine or max fine and typically the the fines are like five euros like so nothing nothing too steep um, and then the most you can pay is like 10 or 15 euros so yeah. no one's going broke over these fines but enough to buy some beer in Prague which is cheaper than water yes um, that's true I remember it was um I was in a bar in Manchester and it was three pound fifty for a pint of starpermen and um, the guy who served me like because I was commenting on how it steep was this is probably like seven years ago and they said yeah it's 50p in in Prague and I was like oh man 
What a kick in the yeah. shin that is. I was like, uh-huh. yeah. So, um, so I I think that's the key to run a good kangaroo court. Is that um, make sure that the backpack's filled with candy and Red Bull, and if it's not, whoever's in charge of the backpack is going to get fined for that. Um, and they have to bring it to dinner uh, on the bus. They have to hold it. Uh, and some people really hate it and some people just rock it and I think it's great I think it's a great team builder Um, there are different levels to it like some people will buy that backpack for day one of practice in London before we fly but uh, I think everything should start pretty much as soon as you get off the plane um, in that respective country do me a favor if you ever see one of them big pink sparkly rucksacks knocking about again uh let me know. Right. I'll, I'll I, I think we retire. We, uh, I think we donated ours to GB Baseball. So I'm sure Glenn or Liam or Will have it in their, um, at their places. And they just don't want us to know that they, uh, they love that backpack. They'll use it. Yeah. You know, so I'll, I'll scout some Instagram photos and see if we can find yeah. any. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, as we sort of come towards the close of, of the, of the pod, um, just how important is baseball in your life? Um, I I think baseball. I mean, baseball is my life. I mean, I've been playing since my mom was my coach um, when I was four or five years old. Um, I mean, I, it was I gravitated toward it in in high school. I mean, like I said before, it was the one sport that. Uh, kept putting me on the B team, made me work that much harder. And uh, I'm so thankful for baseball because it brought me some of my best friends and a bunch of travel experiences that I don't think I would have been able to uh, to accomplish without it. Um, and, I mean, it opened up a new side of baseball with the whole GB uh, style. So I'm just trying to give back to the GB um, as much as I can. Um, and that's why I'm really looking forward to the U18 coaching staff. Um, but I mean, baseball is important. I mean, you make some of the best friends of your life on that baseball team, because unlike other sports, uh, you can talk in baseball, like being a pitcher when the whole team's hitting, you're standing in the outfield with all the other pitchers and you're just chatting away. Um, and so you learn a lot, you play a lot of crazy games in the outfield to pass the time, and it's uh, it's awesome. Cool. I like to leave the last word open to the guest. So, Paul, do you have any parting advice, any shout-outs, or anything you want to add? Uh, I think some advice to all the GB players is gain weight, gain weight and hit, because, um, I mean, pitching, throw strikes, but hitters, if you can hit the baseball, um gain weight put some power behind it because i mean being a coach now if you can hit the coaches will find a position for you uh so i think that's really important for the young uh young hitters in in england um i think cam and uh will would be very disappointed if i didn't at least say energy in this podcast um because of our bratislava trip um but I've kind of retired from all of that energy I had. I think I had a couple too many Red Bulls um, over there, but um, 
it was a, it's a lot of fun. I mean, meeting just amazing people, great. So, I mean, I, I would shout out all, all the GB players and coaches and past coaches for just thanking them to helping me get this far in life. Cool. And where can we follow you and your career on Twitter? Um, so Twitter and Instagram, I think it's DJ underscore poly K. Um, and so fairly certain that's it. I didn't create it, create the names, but I have stuck with it for about 15 years or. So you're not uh, spinning music years. on the side then? No, no. I, my high school team created that one, that name for me. Um, and I've just stuck with it. Fair enough, Rob. We could have had another half an hour chatting about music. I used to do a bit of DJing when I was a lot younger. Yeah. I, I'm not that talented. I mean, my if I was DJing music, it would be a lot of country. And uh, I don't think country has reached England yet. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's always something new. Funnily enough, um, we get books delivered from Dolly Parton to our house. Not directly from Dolly, but we, uh, we sign up to the Imagination Library from a little boy. So each month we get a, a free book. So that's about as close to country music as I get is, is Dolly's gift to, to the little. Nice. Man. Yeah. And it's free as well. So up until the age of five. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Paul, uh, before I go off any more tangents, I'd just like to thank you very much for joining me today and for giving us some great insights into the game. Um, again, uh, keep in touch with us. Uh, let us know how you're getting on and hopefully uh, Italy will be calling very soon. So Paul, thank you very much. Take care. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. All the best. Yep, bye. I'd like to thank Paul for his time and such a great guest. Love chatting with him. Wish him all the best luck in the future and hopefully we'll be back on the end soon. And hopefully later on today, I'm going to have the first segment of the weekly roundup of British baseball. I've had a lot of the scores come back in, but it's pretty late now. It's approaching half past 10 on this Sunday evening. And uh, I've been up since five o'clock this morning with the little and, um, so I'm not going to be able to stay awake much longer to compile all the footage and bits and pieces that I need. So that should be ready by tea time tomorrow, if not Tuesday. But I'll keep you all updated on social media. Um, if you ever want to come on and do a little interview for if you've had a game or you've been involved in a game um, to let us know the the results and the match reports and outcomes, then please feel free to get in touch. British Baseball Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can always hit me up on social media at Brit Baseball Pod. But that's it for me this uh, fine Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whenever you listen to this. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you soon. Ta-ra. Right.